Hello, hello, what's up football fans? Welcome to episode 33 of the DKB Footy Show. I am your host, David Ballat, and I am here once again to talk about the midweek games that were played on Wednesday and Thursday and also to preview the upcoming games of the weekend starting today and also the Champions League round of 16 second leg which starts off next week a lot to talk about and let's start off where we always start off and that is with the premier league premier league had some pretty good midweek games that were played over the past week and none was bigger none had bigger headlines than chelsea versus spurs at stanford bridge and at the end of the day chelsea came out 2-0 winners over Spurs in Stamford Bridge in a much, much, much needed win. Much needed result that Mertesari was desperate for, that the whole squad were desperate for. After the whole debacle that also took place in the Carabao Cup final, in a match where, mind you, Chelsea actually did play well. And you could argue we're the better team if you're just judging based off of the quality of the chances that both teams produced then so yeah so at the back of that of that loss and the drama that ensued at the ending of regular time when Kepa Aritza Balaga refused to come off the pitch for a substitution something that like was baffling something that I've literally never ever seen in my life I've never ever seen a player refuse a substitution the likes of Ronaldo and Messi have been subbed off time in times when you can clearly see it on their face that they are disappointed to be subbed off. And obviously, they're not even used to it because these are the bread and butter. They are the best players in their team. And then who's Kepa? What has Kepa achieved in his career to have the audacity to refuse to come off for a substitution? like wow that was amazing that was that was just beyond belief in my opinion so that just made that made everybody forget about the whole result and just focused on on the the narrative that what happened really showed what the dressing room really thinks of sari it was basically the whole narrative after that um after that, those shenanigans from Kepa was that it really shows how little the Chelsea players respect Sari. That even a player can refuse to come off for a substitution, and they they eventually lost the match on penalty shootouts as well. So it's not like they won the match in the end, and then people would have forgotten. No, they lost the match, and everybody was just talking about that. So this was a much needed win for Chelsea, and they did just that. And Spurs did not. Spurs did everything to help them out. Well, let's talk about the game. So, the first half was was pretty. I was. I would say Chelsea. Def, Chelsea dominated the whole match. To be honest, from start to finish, Spurs did have a few chances. They had a shot that hit the crossbar. I believe this was in the, in the first half. But then, apart from that, they didn't really do anything. They had zero shots on target over the whole ninety minutes. But the in the first half, it ended nil nil. No goal scored. Second half came in and pedro scored in the 57th minute to give chelsea the lead and then after chelsea got the first goal they were very comfortable from there on spurs did not threaten did not create any opportunities they just really um 
flatter to disappoint, if I would say. And that's how the match continued. And then, like, in a move that really encapsulated um, the performance of Tottenham Hotspur at Stamford Bridge, Kieran Trippier had a moment of madness. I, I don't know who was even crazy in that moment between him and, and Hugo Lloris. Kieran Trippier was in control of the ball. He had time to look up to pass back to his keeper and to make sure that he knew the position that his keeper was in to make the pass. But instead of looking up, he just assumed that his keeper was on his line and he passed the ball into the net. And then Hugo Lloris, I don't know what he was thinking because there was really no pressure on the Spurs defense. So I don't know why he decided to come out of his line, but he came out. Trippier did not see him coming out and Trippier passed the ball into the net, scoring an own goal and giving Chelsea the win. So, yeah, that, that, that move right there really just summed up Spurs' performance in the match. And after that, yeah, Chelsea got a much-needed win. And it was a statement from Sarri because guess who did not play that match? Kepa Arizabalaga, exactly. He was benched for the match. Um, he, he was benched. And there was a lot of speculation as to if he was going to be benched or if he was not going to be benched. There was a lot of speculation because of the fact that instead of Sarri to condemn his player, to condemn his player's actions, his stupidity, after that match, he actually defended him and saying that there was, there, there, there was a loss of communication between he and the player. And Kepa did what was right in a wrong way, what the, whatever the hell that means. I don't know what that means. So he decided to defend his player. And then we heard about the fine that he was given. He was given a week's wages fine. So a lot of people were thinking, oh, like Chelsea may have thought that that was enough of a punishment for Kepa and he'll be put straight back into the team, especially because of the fact that Sarri did not go out of his way to condemn the player. But instead, he actually did bench him and he showed that whatever he said about the incident after the match against Manchester City after the Carabao Cup final whatever he said there was just a lot of baloney it was a lot of bullshit because you cannot come and say that it was a loss of communication between you and your player and then punish him for that loss of communication no you only punish a player for something that he does that he should have known better for which is exactly what Kepa did. So why did you go out of your way to defend him? But anyways, he defended him, but he still benched him. And in my opinion, I don't think this is enough. I think Kepa deserves to be benched for like two or three more games than this because that that is like insubordination to the highest level in football. I've never ever seen that in my life. How can a player defy his own coach in that kind of way, especially knowing like all the pressure that the team is on the fact that it's a final as well, it's a cup final, The if they had been able to win that final, that would have been huge because despite the poor performances, despite the criticism that he would have gotten for his style of play, for refusing to be flexible and to change up his lineup, imagine if he would have been able to lift the first silverware of the season and beating Manchester City in the final. That would have just been huge for Sarri. But no, Kepa did not consider all of these factors in. And in my opinion, he deserves to be benched for a few more games. But it was huge to bench him in a match against Spurs. Because if Spurs had won this match, then 
everybody would have been like, okay, so Sari is feeling bigger than the team, that he puts his own ego ahead of the best interests of the team and benches who he knows is the better keeper. So good for Chelsea that they got this win, but I expect Kepa to be benched for at least two or three more games. Honestly, like players should like I feel like he should even be sold for something like that, but I know that's not gonna happen because of all the money that they invested in getting him to the club. So they're not gonna sell him. But he should be benched for a few more games. Spurs, on the other hand, their season is derailing quickly. They're just going off the rails in a very fast pace. Two weeks ago, we were talking about them as being title contenders, and now they're not even certain to finish in the top four in the way they're going. They're firmly back in the top four in the fight for fourth position because they are just four points ahead of Arsenal, who they face in the weekend, and they're just five points ahead of United, who are in fifth. So Spurs need to get their shit together very, very quickly, or else this will end up being the season that everybody expected at the start everybody um most people expected them not to make the top four because of of the fact that they made zero signings over the summer and the way all the other teams around them were strengthening so they have actually gone far above and exceeded all expectations but the way they're going right now if they don't turn things around they're going to suffer for it imagine like when they had these injuries hurricane and Dele ali out son away in in Asia playing the Asian Cup they actually played well and did not drop any points they won all the matches in in the league and then once the injuries start to get a little better once Harry Kane comes back what do they do they lose the first match against Burnley and they lose again against Spurs so Spurs uh, uh, they lose again against Chelsea sorry so Spurs get your act together and Pochettino he is on, under a lot of pressure and also like after the match, he went on record and said that it's going to take another 10 years for Spurs to be able to challenge for the league title. Come on, man. Like, come on. You don't say that after you've lost a match, after, after you've given your fans the hope that maybe they can fight for the league and then they lose. Excuse me. And then they lose in the circumstances that they did lose. The fact that they had zero shots on target that they were completely outplayed and that they've been dropping points. The fact that that was going on, you don't say that at all. So Pochettino should like be wiser like in the things that he says. I don't even know why he said that. Like he usually doesn't say stupid shit like that, but this time around it was just crazy. But anyways, Chelsea defeated Spurs two goals to nil in a much needed result. Over to the next and another much needed result was Liverpool defeating Watford at Anfield five goals to nil. That was a huge result for Liverpool, a huge, huge result for Liverpool because they have also been off form for the past few weeks and they have actually just literally allowed Manchester City to get back into the title race. At some point, like over the past month or so, there was a chance for them to be was either seven or ten points clear on top in the league and then what happened they fluffed their lines they dropped points at home against leicester they dropped some more points again later on 
and then against United, against an injury-ravaged United, against a United team that had to make three substitutions in the first half and literally change their whole game plan because of the injuries that they had, they still did not put up any performance and only had one shot on target. So considering all of that, to put five goals past Watford without reply, that was impressive and that was much needed for them. Mind you as well, Watford were coming on the back of a 5-1 victory against Cardiff also. And not just that win, but they'd been in very good form leading up to this match. So, Javi Gracia has done a great job this season. And a lot of people were thinking that this was another potential banana skin for Liverpool. But they passed the test very well. And guess who helped them out in passing this, this test? Well, I'm going to talk about a few players. But first of all, it was Sadio Mane who opened the scoring in the ninth minute with a header. And then in the 20th minute, he doubled the lead with an excellent back heel goal that basically he dinked the ball with his back heel over the keeper into the back of the net. It actually looked like he had lost the opportunity because it was a good cross that was played into him. He did not control the cross properly. And that made Ben Foster come out of his line to try and snuff out the, the danger. But Mane was smart enough, was really quick in his thinking, and he was able to get a good back heel over the keeper and into the net. And at that point, it was safe to say that Liverpool were going to go on to even score more goals. And that's exactly what they did. Because Divock Origi made it 3-0 in the 66th minute. Divock Origi was playing ahead of, well, well, was replacing the injured Roberto Firmino, who got injured against Manchester United. So he played and he got the goal. And then Virgil van Dijk, the defender of the season, scored in the 79th minute, scored a header in the 79th minute and scored another header in the 82nd minute to round off an excellent performance for Liverpool. They really used set pieces to destroy Watford. Watford are known to be a team to score a lot of set pieces. So for them to have conceded so many against the likes of Mane, they conceded the head against Mane, who's not the tallest player at all. They must have been disappointed by that. But good performance for Liverpool and a huge, huge win for them against an inform Watford, especially after the disappointment against United because they really did not play well. United probably would have won that match if they had just had a few more of their key players playing in the match instead of getting injured. But anyways, I have to give more shout-outs in the Liverpool team to just that back line. Give shout-outs to Alexander-Arnold, who had three assists. Youngest player ever to have three assists in a Premier League match. And Andy Robertson, who got two assists. The two full-backs for Liverpool are just excellent at giving the best world-class deliveries into the box. They do this time and time again. Alexander Arnold's deliveries are second to none in the Premier League, honestly. For a player his age, all he needs to work on is, is, is the defensive aspect of his game. And really, like, there's no telling how far this guy can go. And De Robertson, on the other hand, is just a machine. The way he he overlaps and runs up and down that, the flanks throughout the whole 90 minutes of a match is just impressive. And to have a defender who has... A fullback who has the pace Robertson has and the ability to cross as well. That's just a a deadly combination of skills to have for a fullback. Like usually, most fullbacks, most of the world class fullbacks, only have one. They either have pace 
or they have an excellent ability to cross the ball. Look at the likes of Marcelo. Marcelo is the best fullback in the world. Well, not this season, but at least over the past four or five seasons. And what does he like? He lacks pace. Who else is an excellent fullback? Um, Benjamin Mendy is an excellent fullback. What does he lack? Pace. He has a delivery, but he doesn't have the pace. Carl Walker is an excellent fullback, but he has the pace. He doesn't have the deliveries. It's really rare to find a defender, a fullback that has both pace and deliveries. Look at the likes of David Alaba. He's one of the few ones that comes to my mind that possesses both. Joshua Kimmich is another world-class right back, arguably, uh, arguably the best right back in the, in the world right now. He has the deliveries, but he doesn't have the pace. So what Robertson has, if he can continue to harness these um, skill sets that he has and continues to play the way he does, there's no telling where, how far he can go as well. So shout-outs to Liverpool's back line. There are two full backs and the central defender, Van Dijk. They have transformed this team into the best defensive units in the Premier League. Mohamed Salah, though, what's up with him? When was the last time Liverpool scored as many as five goals and he couldn't even get an assist? He couldn't get on the score sheet, couldn't get an assist. He has had a run of bad performances for the past few weeks. Against United, he was piss poor. He could barely create any chances. Every time he, every time he got on the ball, he was stuffed out against Bayern Munich as well he was almost um he was almost non-existent and again against Watford against smaller opposition who we would expect him to score against he did poorly in the other matches I think yeah he doesn't really have that much of a record of scoring in big games but in smaller in, in smaller games against smaller opposition he should have put on a performance so I don't know what's up with him but he needs to get back in form really quickly because Despite the fact that Mane has been getting the goals, he's not as reliable a goal scorer as Salah is. So Salah needs to get back in form. Over to the next result, and it was Manchester City who defeated West Ham one goal to nil. This was a very cagey affair. City did their best to break down the defense of West Ham, but West Ham were just resolute throughout the whole match. And it just took a Kunagoro penalty to break the deadlock and to give City the win. And mind you, the penalty was not deserved at all because for, um, Bernardo Silva, who went down, was barely even touched. There was barely any contact between him and the defenders. It, was, it just looked like, I think it was just optically speaking, that the referee decided to give that penalty because whenever there's three players surrounding, whenever there's three defensive players surrounding an attacking player in the box and the player goes down, it's likely to be a penalty if the referee doesn't really see what happens. Because from afar, if you look at it, it looks like, like it looks logical that at least one player must have stuck out a foot to take Bernardo Silva down. But it wasn't a penalty. And if something like if, if VAR was being used in the Premier League, that would not have been given at all. So City should count themselves very lucky that they got this penalty and it was enough for them to get the win. But you know what they say like it doesn't matter as long as you get the win and pep will not give a rat's ass about the way they got the goal neither will any of the players in the manchester city locker room and it was a big result for them on the back of winning the first silverware of the season winning the carabao cup over chelsea they've actually had a lot of games over the past few weeks 
and would have felt that some of the players would have been fatigued going into this match so they probably were fatigued because they didn't really have their shooting boots on and didn't really create the clear-cut chances that they needed to get a goal in this match and to win it so for them to have won in this fashion they won't mind they'll take all three points and they will stay within a point of liverpool at the top of the table over to the next match and we had arsenal who absolutely demolished bournemouth at home five goals to one we had a rare start for a certain Mesut Ozil, who opened the scoring in the fourth minute with that lovely Mesut Ozil bounce shot or dink or whatever you want to call it. That's just his signature move. And he did that excellently well in this match to open the scoring for Arsenal. And then in the 27th minute, he turned into the provider for a second goal from Mkhitaryan, a second goal for Arsenal and a first goal for Mkhitaryan on the day to give Arsenal the um a, a good comfortable lead that they would have needed and then eventually some really sloppy play by Gwenduzi in front of the the box gave he gave the ball away to Bournemouth and I think it was Lise Mousset who put Bournemouth back into the match made it 2-1 but that was really all Bournemouth could do because not too long after that Aubameyang made it sorry Laurent Koscielny made it 3-0, 3-1 in the 47th minutes through a decision that was made from goal line technology. The ball went over the line, but it wasn't really clear. The keeper punched it out, but goal line technology gave it as a goal. And then later on, Obama Young made it 4-1 in the 59th minute and Lacazette made it 5-1 in the 78th minute. And I must say, Arsenal are getting back in form. They'd been having some poor results over um, since the new year, but well, leading up to the new year and since the new year has come in, they've had some poor results as well. But over the past three, four, five games, they've really turned it up a notch, and that attack is starting to gel the way they did at the start of the season. We all know at the start of the season, when they were on that ridiculous twenty-two game unbeaten run, they were not really defending very well they were conceding a lot of goals and it was really the attack the front line that gave them the goals that made them win the win the games it was basically them outscoring all of their opposition and that's how they were winning and that's what we're starting to see again now they are playing very well as an attacking unit Lacazette is getting goals Aubameyang is getting goals Mkhitaryan has been on fire as well and they have some tough games coming up so it's really really timely for them to get back in form and because they are going to be facing manchester united and spurs in the next two weeks and they've also got europa league football sandwiched in between that so it's important for them and the rare start for Mesut ozil this was against bournemouth so let's see that he put in a very good performance so it's going to be interesting to see if he will be trusted to start in the big games that are coming up against United and Spurs but Arsenal are getting back in form and they are back in the top four they're in fourth position just four points be behind Spurs over to the next and we had Crystal Palace defeated at home at Selhurst, Selhurst Park against Manchester United one goal to three the Ole wheel keeps on turning and United fans are excited. We are happy. We are loving what is going on. And this is just amazing. Eight straight away wins in all competitions. It's a record. Manchester United have never done that in their history. And for 
Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to do that with his first eight away games, that's just incredible. I keep on waiting for the ball to drop, for them to put in a very bad performance and for the season to just derail and for all the rival fans to come out and say, oh, we told you so. It was just really, it was just really the hype of a new manager coming in that gave them this run of form and it wasn't really because the players are that good or that Ole is that good, but it's just not happening. They continue to win. We, were, we would have thought that after the PSG results, the 2-0 loss against PSG, a lot, of, a lot of critics were saying that this was when United's season was going to fall and the players were going to be shown for what Mourinho had said that they were. But it just did not happen. They have bounced back from every setback that they've had. And this was an excellent result for United. And also, considering all the injuries that they sustained against Liverpool in a match that, mind you, they should have won, in a match where United had to make three first-half substitutions, had to substitute Herrera, who had been in excellent form in the midfield, Mata, who was just starting to pick up some form, playing his preferred position behind the attacking line, and Lingard, who was injured was not really 100% who had to come on for Mata and re-injured his hamstring. For those three players to be injured, for Martial to be out, for Matic as well to be out, and for them to put in that performance against Liverpool, that was impressive. It was unfortunate that they could not get the winning goal, but they put in a very excellent performance against Liverpool, and they did the same against Crystal Palace, except for the fact that they were able to get the goals this time. And who got the goals for United? Well, it was Romelu Lukaku got the, sco- got the scoring started in the first half in the 33rd minute, scored the goal with a one-time finish, after an incredible run from Luke Shaw, an incredible solo run from like around the halfway line up until the edge of the box, he was able to lay the ball off for Lukaku and Lukaku finished it excellently well. And then in the second half, Lukaku made it 2-0 in the 52nd minute off of a set piece in which he did very well to, along, to um, basically it was a semi-acrobatic finish because the ball was in the air. And he was able to get his foot high enough to get the ball, to get enough contact on the ball and get it into the net. And it was a much needed two goals for United and for Lukaku as well. Mind you, he had already missed a guilt edge opportunity in the first half where he should have opened the scoring off of a Luke Shaw um, corner kick. So he did well to dust the dirt off his shoulders and to score a brace to give United the 2-0 lead. But then in the 66th minute, Crystal Palace went back into the game with a goal from Joe Ward in the 66th minute, as I said. It was sloppy defending from United. A cross came into the box and he was able to get a free diving header. We all know that United's weakness in defense has been set pieces and crosses coming into the box. So it was really no surprise that this was the way Crystal Palace got the goal. But after that, Palace did not really threaten anymore. And then to wrap up the three points in the 83rd minute, Ashley Young got the goal off of a Paul Pogba assist. And that was all she wrote for Crystal Palace. A much-needed three points for United, especially with the fact that Arsenal won, Chelsea won, and every team around us had won their match. So it was really important for us to get this win and to stay in the fight for the top four. And that's exactly what we did. Important win for United. And... 
despite the despite all the injuries that United have, they are still coping. They are still coping very well and getting the results that they need. Whew, so it's really, really good times to be a United fan. And a lot of United fans are already calling for Manchester United for the hierarchy to make the job permanent for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And despite the fact that I am enjoying what is going on, I'm sorry, but I am not yet in that camp. I have one foot in the door of Ole to get the job permanently. And I have the other foot saying that we should wait and maybe try and get another coach that is more qualified and better suited. So I'm going to give my arguments for both sides. So first of all, I can completely understand why why fans want Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to get the job. I mean, he's a club legend. We will never forget the, um, the winning goal he scored in the Champions League final in 99. We will never forget all the goals he scored coming off the bench. That's how he made his name. I've never really seen another striker who is more than happy to play a bit part role in the team and actually thrive from playing that role. He got over 100 goals for Manchester United and the majority of them were coming off the bench, which is just incredible. So United fans will never ever forget him. And then on top of that, the fact that he was able to turn our season around despite the negativity, the toxicity that was what was going on when Jose Mourinho was in charge. When he came in, we were 11 points off of the top four, and now we are just one point off the top four. It's incredible. That is just, and the performances as well. It's not like he's just gone in to play defensive-minded football. He has gone in to attack when he needs to and to defend when he needs to. He has shown his tactical nows. In the likes of the in the games against Chelsea, against Arsenal, and against Spurs away from home, we ceded most of the possession, but we still came away with all three points in all of those matches. And also beating Chelsea in the FA Cup, sorry, and Arsenal in the FA Cup as well, both away from home. Getting a win against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, the first time that we've done that in a really long time. I think like the third or fourth time we've done that in like 20 odd years. For him to have done all of that is incredible. And we have basically had the best form in the league since he came. On the other hand, he hasn't won anything yet. We should calm down. Let's be patient. We shouldn't use our emotions to get the best of us and to say that he should get this job. I don't think he deserves it yet. He needs to do a lot more of what he's doing. He's definitely on the right path, but he needs to do more of what he's doing because we're not in the top four yet. We haven't won any cups. If we end the season outside of the top four, I'm sorry, but he's he does not deserve the job in my opinion because... United's ambitions are to win the league. Let's not forget it. Despite how poor we were this season and how badly damaged our expectations were for the end of the season, we are still the biggest club in the world, still making the most money, making the most revenue, splashing the most amount of play, uh, money on signing players aside from Manchester City. And the place where we, we deserve to be, where we believe we should be, is winning the league. So if we cannot even make the top four, if Solskjaer is not good enough to make us finish in the top four, despite how poor Chelsea and Arsenal have been at times, then what is the indication that he's going to be able to make this squad win the league next season, even if he's able to sign one or two more players? 
we already know that we have good enough players as it is so he needs to do he needs to continue doing what he's doing now i cannot fault anything that he has done he has had an a plus since he came in charge but he needs to maintain it he needs to get us into the top four and not just not just barely squeaking into the top four i want to see united challenging for that third place spot i want it to be like okay let's say we finish fourth but it shouldn't be that we finished fourth and 10 points off of third place no i want it to be like in the last three games of the season we still have an opportunity of finishing in third place and if we don't finish in third i'm okay with that fourth place is i'll be more than happy but i want to see us challenging for that third place spot and not making the top four just because chelsea and arsenal were not that good at the end of the day i wanted to be know that united were just that much better than everybody else and they really showed it that despite the poor starts of the season season that they had they were still able to finish like within touching distance on the of the top three and showing that if this was the way they had been at the start of the season they would have been challenging for the league i want to see championship winning form from now until the end of the season for me to say yes oligana solskjaer deserves his job because who is the alternative who is the i wouldn't say the alternative but who is the other major coach that everybody wants and that's mauricio pochettino and the reason why we want him is because we know that he has what it takes to take a team that is well funded to win the league we know he has that because of what he has done with spurs how he has been able to make spurs who are not the biggest spenders by any stretch of the imagination he has taken them from a team that hopes to finish in the top four or that dreams of finishing in the top four to actually being a mainstay in the top four and actually having ambitions of maybe winning the league at some point that is what we need and if Solskjaer does not show that he has an equal ability of doing that then no he should not get the job but if he continues doing what he's doing I am 100% in the camp of Ole to get the job if we end the season, even if we don't win the, the FA Cup. Well, and I think we should. I want us to win the FA Cup and to comfortably finish in the top four. Comfortably. Keyword, comfortably. I don't want a top four where it's nervy until the end of the season and we just finish one point off of above fifth place. No. I want us to finish comfortably in the top four and to win the FA Cup. And then, yes, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should get the job. But Solskjaer, keep doing what you're doing. The way he has been able to get the best out of players that we even thought were shit. Look at the midfield against Liverpool. It was Scott McTominay and Andres Pereira partnering Paul Pogba in the midfield. How much abuse and slander has McTominay gotten for his performances under Jose Mourinho? Where we were all saying that the only reason why he was getting an opportunity under Mourinho was just to spite Pogba and it was not because he was that good. But the performance he put in, he was so mature to come in place of Matic was a big ask and it was he was so mature. Andres Pereira never got a chance under Mourinho. And then after the, the shambolic piece of play that he did to allow Burnley to take the lead above um to, to take the lead over United in the in the in the draw at Old Trafford a few weeks back. For him to have been able to be given a second chance to come back and to put in that display he did, that was huge. So Solskjaer has done exceedingly abundantly above our expectations, but he has to continue doing that and he will get this job. 
And also, I do not want to hear him getting the job until this season ends, no matter how good he is. Fans are allowed to be emotional. I can understand fans wanting him to be announced tomorrow as the permanent manager of United for the next five years. I understand that we are fans, we're emotional, we're supposed to be that way. We're supposed to want to see a former player, a club legend, have be given the opportunity to become a coach for the club. But who should not be emotional? The board should not be emotional at all. Ed Woodward should not make any emotional decisions. He should give he should wait until the end of the season to really see how the season pans out before giving Solskjaer this job. I don't want to hear Solskjaer getting the job before the season ends. Or maybe when we've already made the top four mathematically and there's no chance of Chelsea or Arsenal or Spurs, will I say, catching up to us, then yes, give him the job. But until that, until we know for certain that he has actually won something tangible or made a tangible achievement at the end of the season, he should not be given the job. This needs to be a cold and calculated decision from the United board. And they would do that at their own, they would make a, a quick decision at their own peril. But yeah, that's about it for the Premier League games results over the past week. So I'm going to go over to the Copa del Rey semifinals which were played between Real Madrid and Barcelona, the second leg of the second of three El Clasicos that are going to be played over three weeks, ended with Barcelona absolutely demolishing Real Madrid three goals to nil and progressing to their sixth straight Copa del Rey final in a row. Whew. This was a whirlwind a roller coaster of a match because despite the fact that it ended 3-0 this was this did not tell the tale of the way the match went mind you i would even say real madrid deserved to win the match and were the better team over the whole 90 minutes in the first half they created so many opportunities that they just kept on failing to put into the back of the net I don't know what it is with them, but whenever they come up against Barcelona, especially at the Santiago Bernabeu, they just don't know how to score. In the, in the reverse fixture, in the first leg at the new Camp, they actually played very well and did well to end the match 1-1. In this match, I don't know what was in their heads, how they just were not able to get a goal. It's really baffling to me. But they failed and failed. Vinicius Jr., how many opportunities did this guy get to score a goal? And he just failed to be able to do so. He was just not able to put the ball into the back of the net. I don't understand why and how he failed to do that. But he had so many opportunities and he missed them. And not just him, but other players on the pitch missed their opportunities as well. Benzema missed some headers. Um, Varane missed a good header. And they just could not get the goal. And the first half ended 0-0. And Real Madrid were left to rule those missed opportunities because the second half came in and Luis Suarez got a goal in the 50th minute, just five minutes after the restart of the match. Suarez got the goal and Barcelona were in front and in a firm position to go to the final. And Real Madrid continued to put on the pressure. It's not like they succumbed to... Um, what would I say? It's not like their shoulders dropped and they just lost all of their belief that they could get a result. No, they actually kept pushing on and created more and more opportunities. Ter Stegen was forced to make some excellent saves, some really world-class saves that this guy keeps on doing for Barcelona. He's been doing that all season. 
And in my opinion, he's even in the top three keepers in the world right now. So those saves he made were just astonishing. And then in the 69th minute, Dembele puts a cross into the box, an excellent cross. And Rafael Varane puts the ball into his own net to give Barcelona the two-goal lead. And from there, it was safe to say that it was over for Real Madrid. Their shoulders dropped and they had just lost all belief. And guess what happened four minutes later? Casemiro brings Suarez down in penalty box and a free kick is given. Suarez steps up, gives an excellent Penenka penalty and game set match for Barcelona, defeating Real Madrid at the Santiago Bernabeu, three goals to nil and going to their sixth straight Copa del Rey final in which they will face Valencia in the final after Valencia defeated Real Betis. But what more can be said about Real Madrid's season, man? Their defense is absolutely shambolic. Their attack is just not able to score goals. And this team is just, I don't know, I like Real Madrid fans must be so frustrated at these guys because they're just flattered to deceive so much. Look at the performance they put in. They played better than Barcelona and still got spanked three goals to nil. That's just incredible and amazing. I don't know how you do that. But they just seem to know how to lose and to destroy all of their fans' hopes at the at the worst times of the season, and it was just not the same, not not a surprise this time around. They've lost, and it really just sums up the way their whole season has gone. And I saw a funny video online where Santiago Solari was pulling into the Real Madrid training facilities. And where he saw an angry mob of Real Madrid supporters, he quickly did a U-turn with his car and went to use an alternative entrance. But he can't, he can't run away for too long because guess what? They're playing Barcelona again in the league over the weekend at the Bernabeu once again. And if they are not spanked again, it will take a miracle because I'll be surprised if Barcelona don't win that match. But anyways, that's it for the results over the past week, the midweek results, and over to the fixtures for the weekend. And, um, sorry, excuse me. We've got some huge fixtures coming this weekend. It, this is literally the Derby, the Derby Demolition demolition derby or whatever you want to call it this is derby extravaganza there are major derbies taking place in all of the top leagues and even in the leagues where there's there isn't a derby there's still like a top of the table clash to talk about so i'll start off with the premier league and it's the north london derby my favorite derby in england this has been at least since i started watching football in my lifetime this has been the derby that has produced the most entertaining matches over the years it's the north london derby and this time around it's going to be played not in north london but in wembley because spurs just can't seem to get their stadium ready so spurs are going to be hosting arsenal at wembley and this is a must-win match for both teams a must-win one a must-win match for spurs to keep themselves in third place and to prevent themselves from being dragged into the top four battle and for Arsenal to keep their position in the top four because any slip up and United and, uh, and Chelsea will overtake them. So this is huge and Spurs as well, they need to bounce back from the run of poor results that they've been having and Arsenal are going to do well to maintain the form that they've been having. 
So I expect goals to be scored in this match. I expect a lot of goals in this match. I expect Harry Kane to be really fired up for the match because we all know his record against Arsenal, especially when playing at home. He has scored a boatload of goals against Arsenal and I expect him to do the same in this match. So both sets of fans, both sets of supporters are going to be really, really riled up for this match and I expect this to be a very entertaining affair. And then guess what? We've got another we've we've got we, we've got another derby and that's the Merseyside derby with Everton hosting Liverpool at Goodison Park. That's going to be huge as well because Liverpool are still under pressure. They still have Manchester City breathing down their necks. Any slight dip in form, any slight dropping of points and Manchester City are going to overtake them at the top. But it must be said though that Everton are actually not the toughest opposition to be facing right now because they have just been shipping in goals for fun, both home and away. They just concede so many goals. And if this wasn't a derby, I would expect Liverpool to absolutely walk all over Everton. But the fact of the matter is that it is a derby and Everton are going to be really, really looking forward to spoiling the party for Liverpool and absolutely derailing their title-winning hopes. So if there's any motivation Everton needed, that's it about there. The fans are going to be really, really motivated for this match. The players will be. And it's going to be a really great game to watch. I'm really excited to watch this game. Then over to Bournemouth. Bournemouth are playing against Manchester City. Um, well, this one, this is going to be an, an, a very interesting match as well because Bournemouth have actually, despite the fact that they concede so many goals away from home, at home they've actually only conceded like one goal in the last three matches. And Manchester City as well, they, like I said, in the midweek, they really showed their fatigue because they've been playing so many games, likes of Aguero, has been playing so many minutes. He played one twenty minutes against. Um, he played one twenty minutes against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup, and I believe he played ninety minutes against West Ham. Where even if he was subbed, maybe he was subbed with just like twenty minutes to go. So he might be fatigued. Other players in the pitch might be fatigued as well. So who knows what could happen? But if all goes well, Manchester City should absolutely destroy Bournemouth away from home. But it's going to be an interesting match because we all know Bournemouth like to take the game to the opposition. And if they do that against City, it can either go two ways. They can take City by surprise and actually get some good goals against them. Or they can just open up space for Manchester City to hit them on the counter and to absolutely ob obliterate them, which seems like the more likely um, result. But we'll see how it goes. Over to the next, and it's Manchester United hosting Southampton at Old Trafford. This is another huge game because United are going to be looking to take advantage of the fact that both Spurs and Arsenal are playing and either of them who drop points will allow Manchester United to get that much closer to finishing in the top four. So if United, United, and this is actually a much needed fixture for United because we all know how tough February was in terms of the fixtures, not the results because United faced Arsenal Chelsea, Liverpool, and PSG, all in the space of one month. So this match against Southampton is a much-needed fixture, which they would do well to take advantage of because after this fixture, they've still got a few more tough fixtures coming up in the league up until the last few matches of the season. 
So it's much needed that United get a result from this match. Southampton, on the other hand, are this is it's getting to that time of the year when the relegation battle really heats heats up, and Southampton are definitely going to defend as doggedly as they can in this match. I expect them to do so. So United are going to do very well to win this match, and then speaking of relegation battle, well, Fulham, they look like. Their season is already over. They look like they're done and dusted and might be going home, more going back to the championship. But in order for that not to happen, they have to get a result against Chelsea. And they have a big ask because this is another derby. It's a West London derby. And they just sacked Claudio Ranieri, the coach, the second coach of the season that they had. They just sacked him and Scott Parker has been named the new interim coach until the end of the season and they could not have asked for a worse fixture than to be playing against a Chelsea side that are also badly in need of a result because despite the fact that they beat Spurs they are still in sixth place in the league though they have a game in hand they are still in sixth place and they are going to be looking to put in an excellent display as well in this match because it all takes one result for it to be the end of Sari. Literally every match now could be Maurizio Sari's last match in charge of, 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 um, of Chelsea. So every match is like a final for him. And if the players are really on his side the way he wants us to believe that they are, he actually claims that the Kepa incident re, um, united the, fa- the locker room even more. So if the players are really behind him, then they need to be able to beat Fulham, who are not the toughest opposition. But it's a West London derby, and the Fulham fans are going to be really up for this match. So who knows what could happen? Fulham versus Chelsea. Let's see how it goes. And then over to La Liga. And like I said, it's another Clásico, the third Clásico in three weeks. And it's going to be Real Madrid once again at the Santiago Bernabeu against Barcelona. Real Madrid are nine points behind Barcelona at the top of the table. And if they win this match, it will cut the lead to six points. But we all know that's easier said than done. And if we're going to go based on for form or off of the past results, Barcelona should have no problem giving Real Madrid another very excellent beating in front of their own home fans. And I mean, even before this season, Actually, at the Bernabeu, Madrid have actually had the worst results against Barcelona at the Bernabeu. They've had a lot more success against Barcelona at the Nou Camp than they've had in the Bernabeu. In the last 10 Clásicos that they've had in the Bernabeu, they've only won, I think, three of them or something like that. Barcelona have won, like, seven. So, like, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Barcelona win this match again at all. And nobody should be surprised. And also, like, what's up with the Real Madrid locker room? What's up with Gareth Bale, man? He is not doing himself any favors. In the in the last league match against Hetafe, he stepped up and scored a penalty and refused to celebrate with his players. I don't understand what message he's trying to send if he's saying that he doesn't like the crit- the criticism that he's getting from his players. Well, then he should try and learn some Spanish for a change. Maybe that would help. And maybe he should also try and socialize with his teammates a bit more. We all understand that, yes, he can be an introverted guy. He probably he seems to be a very introverted guy who just likes to keep to himself. But come on, like, for your teammates to go out to the media and complain that you don't even like to hang out with them, that you don't like to go for, um, for club dinners 
in the night because it's too late and it's past your bedtime. The fact that you just like to go play golf instead of socializing with your teammates. For your teammates to go out of their way to say that, that means you need to change, man, because we rarely hear of that. So Gareth Bale needs to step up and maybe he could be the one to really reignite Real Madrid's season. Who knows? Because we all know he has that quality. Even though he has not shown it for how many years now, he still has the quality and he just needs to step up and show it. Over to the next, and it's a tough away fixture for Atletico Madrid as they travel to play against Real Sociedad at the San Mamés Stadium. And it's a, yeah, like I said, it's a tough match for Atletico Madrid. But if they need any motivation, it's that if Real Madrid are able to defeat Barcelona, they will be just within three points of the top of the league if they get a win against Real Sociedad. So they're definitely going to be really looking forward to this match. Over to Serie A, and we've got a huge top-of-the-table clash, even though this is not a title decider, but it's still huge because Napoli are going to be hosting Juventus. First versus second, or like say second versus first. And a few stories leading up to this match. Well, the main one is concerning Cristiano Ronaldo. He picked up an injury in the last uh, match against Bologna, but he has resumed full training with the squad and is expected to be available for the match. Whether he starts or not is up for debate because they're also going to be playing against Atletico Madrid in a few weeks' time in the Champions League, and I'm sure Allegri is, going to, is not going to want to jeopardize that at all. And this is not a must-win match at all for, for Juventus because, as you all know, there are 13 points on top of the table. And if they win this match, I think maybe it's just show that they've already won the league. I mean, we already know that they've already won the league, in, in fact. So I really don't know what winning this match will do for, for Juventus. So it's not like they have to play Ronaldo. And even if it is a must-win match, they can afford to win the match with, with, or, with or without Ronaldo because they have a squad that is just well-equipped in every department and much better than Napoli in every department. So... Napoli don't have much to play for as well because it seems like they've secured that second spot and Juve don't have much to play for so I don't know if that's going to affect the intensity that the players go into the match with but all the same I expect it to be an entertaining match. Cagliari, um, actually I have a result to talk about actually from this week because there was a Serie A match that was played last evening, last night and it involved Cagliari and Inter and Inter fell at the hands of Cagliari, two goals to one. They lost the match away from home, and their season also looks to be derailing because at the start of the season, it looked like they were challenging for the second spot with Napoli, but now they're so far off that they're actually back in the top four battle. And I say that because if either AC Milan or AS Roma get wins in their matches, they're going to go above Inter Milan, and Milan has a chance of finding themselves in fifth position by the end of this weekend. They're 11 points off of Napoli, who have not played yet. 11 points off of Napoli with one game in hand and two points above AC Milan and three points above Roma. So their season is really, really derailing and they lost this match. So they did not do themselves any favors. Last weekend, they blew away a 3-1 lead against Fiorentina. They allowed Fiorentina to come back and make the match 3-3. 
and once again they look like they're gonna drop points against Cagliari uh, what well, once again they have dropped points what am i saying they have dropped points against against Cagliari and they're just going to be praying to the heavens that ac milan and roma don't win the goals for this match came from ivan perisic who scored an own goal in the first match to give Cagliari the lead lautaro martinez scored an equalizer to make it 1-1 and then leonardo pavoletti scored to give Cagliari the win and then over to the next picture. So as I said, it's AC Milan versus Sassuolo. AC Milan will go to third position if they beat Sassuolo. And we've got Lazio versus Roma. It's a huge match for Roma. It's the Rome derby. It's going to be played at the Stadio Olimpico. That's another derby to add to the list. And this is even bigger for Roma because if they win, they're going to go into fourth position. So they have it all to play for. And then over to the Bundesliga, and we've got another result. And my, oh my, if Inter Milan's season is derailing, Borussia Dortmund's season really looks to be derailing because they have lost once again. They lost away from home against Augsburg last night, courtesy of goals from Ji Dong Wong. He scored a double, and then Paco Alcasa got a consolation goal for Dortmund, but it was not enough. And they have lost another match, and are and have now given Bayern Munich an opportunity to draw level with them at the top of the table. So they've lost the, the they're out of the Champions League effectively because they I doubt they're going to overturn the three goal deficit. They're out of the DFB Pokal Cup and it looks like they're going to allow Bayern Munich to come back in the league. But that's easier said than done because Bayern Munich have to go away from home and beat third place Borussia Mönchengladbach in order to do that. If they do do that, they're going to go um, level on points with Dortmund, but probably behind on goal difference because they already have there are six goals behind Dortmund already. And then over to Ligue 1, and it's going to be Caen versus PSG. And the only real, real story to talk about from PSG is the fact that Neymar is now walking without crutches. So... His return dates should be drawing nearer and nearer every day. And then we've got the Champions League in the midweek. We've got the second leg of the Champions League coming up. And on Tuesday, we've got Real Madrid hosting Ajax. Real Madrid are favourites to win this match because they already have a 2-1 goal aggregate lead. And I expect them to beat Ajax despite the fact that they're not in the best form. But let's see, maybe if Barcelona is able to give them a humiliation, who knows, maybe the whole season will derail and Ajax might actually get something from this match. You never know. Over to the next, and it's Borussia Dortmund hosting Spurs. Borussia Dortmund have to overcome a three-goal deficit. I don't really see that happening. So Spurs are overwhelming favorites, and I think they're going to win it. And then FC Porto versus AS Roma. FC Porto have to overcome a 2-1 goal deficit, and this is very, very much within their capabilities. And I think they can do it because they're at home, they already have the away goal, and a 1-0 win will take them through. So they should definitely be looking forward to this match. And then last but not least, on Wednesday night, we've also got PSG versus Manchester United. United have to overcome a two-goal deficit without Paul Pogba. That seems to be a very impossible task, but who knows what can happen because the likes of Martial, Martial, Martial should be back for this match, might be back over the weekend, 
against Southampton, but should be back against um, PSG. Marcus Rashford should be fit enough to start after he was only able to play. He played 90 minutes against um, Liverpool with an injured ankle. He should be able to play, but there's no Paul Pogba. And we all know Paul Pogba is Manchester United's creative outlet. So we don't know how it's going to go, but he appears he should win it. And if they don't, then Thomas Tuchel should get sacked. That's all I have to say. But in terms of the results, United should do well to maybe get a draw or I don't know, but they probably won't win on aggregate. But anyways, that's all I've got for this week. As usual, you can find me on Instagram at dballot and on Twitter at dkballot. I'll be back next week to talk about the results. And I thank you guys for listening to the DKB Footy Show.